Welcome back to Lash and Rouge Cycling Podcast, the Tour de France Stage 13 recap of 2022's edition from Le Bourg d'Oisin to Saint-Étienne. It's a 50-point stage in the sprint green jersey competition, 193 k's, but it has a lot of just heavy, nasty climbs all day. 2 k's 8%, 5 k's 7%, 2 k's 7%, 7 7.5 k's 5%, before a sort of long drag to 1,500 metres, 5% for a downhill tailwind finish, just an uphill drag, just a nasty heavy day on the legs. It's just not a day you want to be chasing alone in 35 degrees in some of these valleys, just just nasty. And we have for this sort of stage, I mean, I saw in the, the markets before, Philipson and Van Aert, the favourites, but Benji, me and you yesterday, I... I was like, oh, have I have I missed something? Because yesterday on the pod, me and you, we like literally didn't discuss the possibility of a sprint. I thought this was so clearly a breakaway stage, but some directors obviously thought so. And some <laughs> and some didn't. That's what we saw at the start of this stage. Yes, certainly. But I think that we've actually seen attempts at the start of today's stage from a lot of the teams that eventually also started chasing. So Initially, Gana Jorgensen and Stefan Kung started forming a three-man group that stayed ahead for a bit because Gana Infinite Relay at the front of that group and basically kept that group like 20 seconds to 40 seconds, 50 seconds ahead of the peloton. And we noticed a large group form, a very large group to the point where it was like, I think roughly 15 riders extra, which did not make it across, but included the likes of Marc Soler, which is an odd one for me. I didn't know why, but he was in there. We had the likes of Conrad together with Polid, Cataneo and Honore, for example, for Quickstep. So that team's up there. Notably, also Trekwit, Mollema and Peterson. We've got the likes of Schultz for Bike Exchange and also Andreas Kron for Lotto. So those two teams attempting to be in the breakaway, but that group fails. Why? Because Alpacin's like, nah, today is going to be a sprint. They put their entire team at the front, a gap of 25 seconds. They basically empty every single one of their riders to the point that Philipson sprints the gap down in the last 50 meter gap. He sprints it down to that group, closes the gap, and then they miss the next breakaway as well, Alperson. So <laughs> I don't know. They don't like... get it. They don't get it. So <laughs> you you see them chasing and they do have to chase if you want to sprint. You have to at that point. But you're like, how did this happen? How did a break like this go? Why is it so hard for the breaks to form on these stages in the tour so far? And I'll try and show it in the video tonight. But they lack the subtlety of a Tim de Klerk where they just chase everything. They don't, they will say three men will go a Marco Haller and Zimmerman, maybe, and a uh, Camel Graddock. Three of them will go. One more rider will try and bridge and there'll be a chain out mm. and the, the gap is still not gone out yet and they won't let his wheel go and start blocking. And instead of having – they they ride the start of the stages as if it's possible to stop any break forming. And what ends up happening is they get exhausted and then they cannot control when huge turbo engines try and get in the break and then you have an uncontrollable break. Yeah, so that's what they're making a mistake of. Another mistake, in my opinion, is that in this scenario, they are catching that group of 15 
And then another group gets away with the likes of Simmons that attacks on the left side of the road with Peterson in the wheel, all trying to bridge to that Ganna, Jurgensen, and Kung three man groups along the road. Wright follows, Hull follows, Owen Duel tries to follow, but I'm yep. actually not sure if he made it to the breakaway no, or not. He didn't. Well, oops. But Absin once again misses that breakaway, and then they don't make a click in their head that there were so many teams initially that tried to be in the breakaway that think that is going to be a breakaway stage that are not going to be riding for their sprinter mainly, and they are not in that next group either. One which... of Shrek. Yeah, Who you'd exactly. expect to help. Their sprint is now up the road. So, like, there's one ally out the door. Yumbo. Exactly. I, I wouldn't be relying on Yumbo to pace today. Why would they? Like, and so your allies are Lotto, Quickstep, and bike, bike exchange if i was the lotto ds like let's i'll do the i'll do the read first benji because i want to discuss this it's really the main discussion point of the day but the tour de france fam which will be we will be doing a preview for uh in the lead up to the race dropping next week the race kicks off on the 24th of july the tour de france fam is avec zwift zwift are the title sponsor of the race so if you're crying out for more racing lorena vibas actually won in i think the balwaza tour today in a sprint um she's in good form leading up to that first sprint stage tour de france fam avec zwift kicks off next sunday and so it's back-to-back -back with the men's race before the men's race on that stage. And Swift and ourselves are calling on all cycling fans to watch the fam. Me and Benji will be in Paris to bring you the coverage live. We'll be potting on the ground. So make sure you're tuning into the recaps from the 24th to the 31st of July to watch the fam. I'll also have full highlights, as I have for the men's race, continuing for the women's race uh, throughout the whole race on the Lantern Rouge YouTube channel. So full coverage here as if it was uh the men's race across all our platforms including some climb estimations which will be sort of new stuff on the website as well so yeah just thought we'd let you know that thanks to swift as always for supporting the show as our presenting partner as well but lotto benji you got and bike exchange we have two options durbridge is out with covid so that's mm -hmm. a huge engine out for bike exchange Ewan's climbing looks terrible. He was dropping before Jakobsen and Gronewegen in all the climbs in the last two days. We have Kroen, Wellens, Gilbert, three really good riders for this parkour to be in a break. Bike Exchange have Matthews, Bauer, Grundolianson type riders as well. Mezgech? Mezgech. Why? Like, surely it's so risky unless you have ironclad guarantees from Yumbo that they'll help you pace to go for a sprint today and not try and get guys in the breakaway. In the scenario of Bike Exchange and Lotto, they've got the one excuse that they both tried with one rider, Kron and Schultz, but I feel like they should try with more at the start of this kind of stage to get in the breakaway, to get riders up there in the same way that Peterson and Molema and Simmons did for track, because... We've been saying for the last one and a half years, whenever Bex was doing this stuff, as in the not going and breakaway with Matthews and eventually not winning the stage from the peloton with their team as they start pacing and they can't catch the eventual breakaway. It's happened a lot last year as well, for example. But um, we've said that so much about bike exchange the last year and a half, and it seems like Trek decided to go for that today. They decided to put Peterson together with Simmons in the attack 
I feel like it was actually not on purpose. Pedersen was trying and failed his attack and then was kind of giving up. And then Simmons says to him, let's try it one more time, mate. Ultimate tug, buddy. Exactly. They went for it and they got themselves on the breakaway. So that's the difference here, the different scenarios. Trek uses that strategy of getting their versatile sprinter with an extra rider in the breakaway. That rider could be important because if you've got a sprinter in the breakaway, he's going to get attacked by rulers or by random other riders in that breakaway. And if you've got an extra rider to control or at least make sure the breakaway starts attacking later by having that rider up there until you get into the last 20k, then your sprinter won't have to react that instantly and that early in the stage. He won't have to respond to the Mohoric-like attacks that Wout van Aert and Van Der Poel had to respond to last year on stage 7, for example. Does that make sense? And Kirsch is out. Molimer, so Sturvin's not looking good. So who are you going to have pull all day? And I think it might have been a decision on the road that the DS was like, holy shit, Jorgensen, Kung, Ghana. We can chase that all day. Or Queen, big effort now, yep. get across. So that's that's what happened. And so we had the most insane rouleau breakaway I've ever seen for a stage like this. Kung, Ghana, Fred Wright, who's on insane form, Hugo Ull, Pedersen, Simmons, Matteo Jorgensen, who's 190 centimetres plus, big engine two on Movistar. And we have Alperson and Lotto with two men each rotating turns. And here's where I don't mind, like, okay, Bex missed the break. Fine, I get it. You missed the break. Why are they not helping those guys pace? If you do not have the gap after that climb against this break, super tight, like 20 seconds like or less or caught, if you do not have the break so tight, you are never winning because this is what happens on these rolling parkour. You can't just drill it. They have to wait for the, they have to do the pace the sprinters can do on the climbs. And so they have to go slow and they lose the break on all these climbs and they have to take it back again. And yet the breakers got guys who are stronger than their rulers. So bike exchange didn't help early. I didn't understand it, to be honest. Like it made yeah. no sense. And yeah, that was that's the real flaw in how they approach this stage. Exactly. And when it comes to the control from the Peloton, it got intriguing when Alpsen basically kept controlling initially. We had um Lotto join, and those two teams were the ones that were keeping the gap to the front at around 150 to two minutes for the first half of the race. Started expanding a bit towards the end, but we'll get to that later. And when we see Gilbert pulling early on in the stage, like just when the break was gone, Luke Rogue like comes past him and says like, think you're going to catch that, mate? Like twice. <laughs> he was yeah. straight up trolling Gilbert at the front of the peloton. <laughs> I love that. He straight up heard it on the comms and so forth. So... Yeah, he, he's kind of right. They like rose right on that. And they are now pacing in the peloton for the entire stage. And the intriguing aspect of it is that something happened with about 70k to go in the race that completely changed the uh, situation as well for the peloton. Perhaps the peloton might have had a better chance if this extra team was pacing. Lotto Sudel. They were pacing initially, but eventually Ewan ended up crashing in a in a weird way? Is it a weird way? It's a simple way, but... I haven't really seen the overhead. I only saw basically, the Basically, the Lotto team was at the front of the peloton. They go into a 90-degree a left corner, and I think the second Lotto rider, I think it's Schilbert. I'm not 100% sure, certain, so don't start roasting the guy. 
takes the corner wide, which causes the next rider to also take it wide, while Ewan is steering in. And Ewan straight up rides into the back wheel of the rider ahead of him as a consequence. And yeah, that's how Ewan goes down. I think the next rider in row also goes down. So two Lotto Sedal riders on the road. They're now all waiting by the side of the road. Alpacin's unhappy because they've got a team less controlling in the peloton. Gap goes out a tiny bit. And that's an interesting situation following up because uh, Alpacin wants Ewan up there. Because they want Lotto there, and that's where it became very intriguing at the back of the peloton. Because not only was the Lotto car trying to get Caleb Ewan back to the peloton, the Alpacin car was trying to get Caleb Ewan back to the peloton to the point where the Alpacin car was pulling Ewan like in draft to the peloton, while the Lotto car was behind, according to French TV, trying to make sure that the Commissaire motorbike could not pass them to go to the Alpacin car to tell them that they cannot drive Caleb Ewan. <laughs> so they were straight up collaborating against the Commissaire to make sure Caleb Ewan could get to the Peloton. I love that from a, a sneaky uh, perspective. Eventually, Caleb Ewan joined the Peloton again, and then he dropped again on the next climb. So, yeah, yeah he gets I don't back, think he's all right. Gets back, drops straight away on that climb. Quinn Simmons does a full gas effort on the climb. He takes out 30 seconds on the uh, peloton from the breakaway gaps at 230 they're all working well he drops Pedersen's now left alone suddenly everyone stops Alperson give up a lot of given up because Ewan's off the back Jacobson's dropped nothing nothing no one's pulling GC teams at the front and then the gap goes out to 330 and bike exchange appear at the front now I know they couldn't pace the climb hard because they don't want to drop Gronewegen but that's why you help pace earlier so the gap is yep. tighter on the flat sections and at this point, it's like mathematically impossible to catch the break yeah. because the break is working well. The break is extremely strong. Jack Bauer and Grinnell Janssen, they might be in good shape, but against a repeat, Ganna, Wright, Bull, Kung, Jorgensen, Pedersen, they are not taking three minutes 30 on this up and down parkour. We have climbs to come. There's a tailwind finish. And so we basically have them pacing full gas. They nearly crash on the descent. They ask, or Ineos, I think, Rose, like, Yumbo, are you going to help Yumbo? Like, nah, not today. And they didn't because Wout would take green points anyway in the finish. And he took some of the intermediate and he's going to win green anyway. They've already won stages. And it's going to be from the breakaway. Eventually, Pedersen attacks before he gets attacked. He did this in Gen Wevelhem, although he wasn't the same. It's different. He wasn't the favorite there. He attacked Van Aert and MVDP from that group. He attacks because he knows they will all just try and roll him because he is by far the fastest sprinter. He's with a lot of engines, and it's a brilliant move. It catches Ganner and Kung by surprise, and they can't react. Jorgensen is stuck with them. Wright immediate, immediately bridges across with Ool, and so we have the trio um, going up this climb. And at that point, Benji, I don't know, it's just a great move from Pedersen because the others couldn't come back. The others were right and Ool were working with him for long enough. The gap goes to 25. And then what can they do? I guess Ool attacked him a little bit, but right, I think he said afterwards he didn't have the legs to attack him on that final little climb. Yeah, I think so as well. And like this entire scenario, Pedersen attacking early and catching them by surprise, could it be a consequence of him noticing weakness already in Ghana and Kung before? Or do you think that's do you think that riders in the breakaway can tell if the other breakaway riders aren't won't be able to follow their attack or something? Um, maybe, maybe it depends on the thing. Is his snap is so strong compared to the others? The others take so much longer to wind up, 
And if he does a 300 meter sprint, he has a three, four second gap. So then it's like, if they look at each other, now it's six Mm -hmm. seconds. And so Wright immediately had to jump. And so did Ool. And that's why they got across. I don't know. Maybe they can sense it in the turns. Everyone's doing it. But then maybe someone's conserving. I don't know. They get to the finish. Ool has attacked a few times. Wright tries one. This is the Vermeersh attack, Benji. The Vermeersh-Roubaix attack, not as bad as Vermeersh, because I think Pedersen wins anyway, but Vermeersh would have won Paris-Roubaix, in my opinion, uh, if he trusted his sprint more. But yes. he didn't. Wright attacks a little bit late. Ool starts just riding for third. I've got no problem with it. Like, he knows he can't win. There's some UCI points, and he just, it's third in the Tour de France stage. He's worked so hard for, but... Like, what's the point in finessing for nothing and getting caught from the others behind? Pedersen, yeah, he leads out then. Pedersen jumps with quite a fair bit to go and gaps right off the wheel, switches off into ooh, in front of ooh. That denies the draft to Wright, and he wins very, very easily in front of Fred Wright, who was my pick on the podcast yesterday. So I'm in a fine bit of form, actually. Uh, he comes second, ooh, third, Kung, Jorgensen, Ganna, fourth, fifth, sixth, uh, out of the breakaway, extremely strong break, and they played it well today. They won by five minutes. Bike exchange gave up eventually. Pedersen saves Trek's Tour de France and his Tour de France. He had a pretty rough go of it in the Danish stages. Um, and he wins in hot conditions, Benji. I thought he wasn't supposed to be able to do this. <laughs> I think he's able to do it, but I think he's better in the rain still. I think um, he falls off less than competitors in the rain. Similar to Pogacar, actually, if you think about it. So yeah, it was a sleepier stage in the peloton. <laughs> like you always see, like the heat cooks people's head. Niels Pollitt attacked out of the peloton. That was six minutes behind, just being paced in by like B and B were going for a top seven with Mozzato in the sprint, and Pollitt attacks them. I don't know if he gets a bonus for a top ten in a Tour de France stage. I doubt it, uh, or if he's auditioning for an Italian wildcard team at the Giro d'Italia next year. But absolutely bizarre. Like, what the fuck is he doing? Sean Kelly was perplexed. And Bora, I mean, Camden has been close, but I wouldn't say they're having the best tour uh, mm-hmm. right now. And, yeah, so that was weird. And then, wow, wins the sprint in front of Seneschal for green jersey points. So he has, let me look, 333 points. And Pogacar is second on 164. Uh, but that's pretty much all from this stage, I think, other than for me to say that Cavendish would have won it from the break or from the peloton. <laughs> Cav would have won. Okay, I believe you. I believe Heavy you. roads. I don't Quickstep, as well. Quickstep looked in terrible. Like, where's Honoré or Bagioli in this break? Yeah, they tried to get in the first time with a larger breakaway. They got slapped up by Alperson's uh, where's chasing group. Um, Journey's not at this race, right? So <laughs> They brought Asgren because he's Danish, even though his, his knee didn't work. That's part of the decision making at quick step apparently but like in hindsight looking back quick step was like talking big after two days on twitter when they won the time trial and the fabio jacobson stage jacobson stage that every single person in the world predicted by the way and lompart i'm i'm staying on the fact that he won that time trial solely on the fact that the weather changed yeah, like obviously like that's of course that's true I, this is not a good tour for them I mean, relative to what they usually have, which is yeah. like three of last year, five stages, right? Plus, plus yellow jersey, plus green jersey in previous years. Yeah, it's not as good a tour so far. Maybe they come good. Maybe Jakobsen wins 19, 21. Yeah, but possible. Possible. We're only halfway through or just over halfway through. Anyway, tomorrow's stage, 
Mendy. It's the a steep rampass Mulder. climb. Mendy. He's a defender in a Premier League. Oh, no, he's played for PSG. Cote de la it's 3Ks at 10.4%, but it's 7% for the first 500 metres, 7% for the last 400 metres. The middle one, can I do mathematics? I can't. Middle two kilometres are like 12%. So that's very, very steep. It's about a nine to 10 minute climb. And on the parkour here, there's a little descent at the end from what I can see on the profile. Before then, it's like rolling medium mountain all day. Absolutely no team wants to control this stage. No team. It's This is breakaway, of course. Uh, it was in when it was used last when Roglic went crazy. Who do you like for it, Benji? Buggy's out with COVID. I would have liked him for it. I think he came top 10 in uh, La Flèche. Who do we like from the break? I see no prospects for GC Group. I see no prospect for the GC group to win the race, but I do expect Pogacar to try something on the final climb because he's he's desperate to gain seconds, and if he can get ten, gain 10 seconds on Malmö, he will try to do so, but I don't expect it to uh, have a big influence on GC either. When it comes to riders that could win this stage, it's a very good question, my friend. I, um, we haven't you know seen... Pogacar contested the sprint from the bunch today? Did he? Yeah, he was like, sprinting he came uh he was behind Dainese like ahead of Haller and Christoph and Capio why it makes no <laughs> sense for him to doing? do that but uh anyway regardless of that I'm still happy he's here because he's the big competitor for Vingegaard and I hope that he can do shit in the rest of this race oh Magnus Court in the breakaway I'm not sure he's gonna do that again on a finish like this it's gonna be pretty tough to win for him even though it's Magnus Court so he can do stuff like that um Zimmerman uh, who can win on a steeper finish like that a Groschartner someone like that a Shockman Camden's better Camden's better than them I think um, I think Bora, the big ones. Yes, I agree. Someone from Bora, Kamner, Conrad, Sharkman types. Remember Puy-Marie was when Sharkman and Kemner were in the break. Very sort of, that's a bit of a harder stage. Puy-Marie is very steep, maybe 10-minute effort. But Danny Martinez was just on a ridiculous level and he dropped Kemner after Sharkman tried to one-two him. Uh, but there's no Danny Martinez. Well, Danny Martinez is here, but Danny Martinez isn't really here. Um, so... Yeah, Lefay is out. I would have. Did we maybe pick Lefay before the tour? Um, yeah, yeah. I think we we mentioned him earlier on or something. But the guy was dropping on the on the first hill today, so really is not in order. So that's no. why he's out of the race. Uh, I'm going with Dylan Turns. He's been struggling to oh. get in the breaks. We'll pick the right break. He won like he won flesh. So this is not, <laughs> he should probably be the favorite. Um, or I've just made him the favorite. He, yeah, like. Dylan turns hard to go past him. Plenty of guys who can get in the break to help out with him. Tratnik, Radic, Sanchez. Today, you've got to give him a, a cozy ride in the break, and he's got to do the business. And I really struggle to see. I struggle to see anybody that can Betiol. match it. Betiol, this is steep as fuck, though. Like 12% <laughs> for 2Ks. That's harder than the Murder Wee, by the way. Yeah. Murder Wee is like a three, four minute effort. This is. Maybe it's too long for turns. I don't know. Um, even like Izagira, he's uh, not Izagira, uh, Jorgensen, he's just been in the break. He's a bit heavy, like for this sort of finish. You really want, really want to be the light for this. Pino, I think Pino's pretty good for this. Far? Pardon? 
is Lutsenko too close on 11 minutes to go in a break on a stage like this? Or is it not worth it for him? Um, I don't think the GC teams will want it. It'll be annoying having okay. to chase him. Yeah. Um. Yeah, who have you got? I completely forgot the names I've already said so far. So um, I'm well, going to go probably. with... I'm going to go with the fact that Mark Soler tried to go in the breakaway Did on he? this stage <laughs> in a big group. So he's going to try tomorrow, go rogue, and he's going to win the stage for UAE. From memory, he was in that Puy Marie break as well, where he got finessed pretty hard or finessed himself back in 2020. Uh, in the GC group, I don't think there'll be large differences. Uh, it's still only a 10-minute climb. I actually think Fingergaard could drop Pagatcha on this climb again. Um, Pagatcha's so. eight kilos heavier than him. Why not? I think it's not steep enough. 12% is decent, but this is not Mudehui level, right? This is steep. Mudehui is harder. No, it's not. Really? This is 10 minutes. at. This is double the length of Murdoe. Murdoe has a steeper pinch, but the overall climb is, I don't think it's hard. Yeah, but it's its a steeper pinch that kills Pogacar every year, I think. Yeah, but this has, I think, one kilometer at 14%. So, okay, yeah. Uh, let me check. No, sorry. 500 meters at 14.5%. So I assume okay. at some point there's 16% in there yep. for a little bit. Um, so yeah, he's... I think Jonas should try and put 20, 15 seconds into him. 20 is too much. He should try and put 10, 15 into him. He can drop him tomorrow. He's he's lighter. He's a better climber, better pure climber. Steeper the better. Um, but I think what we'll see is a stalemate. Pogacaron, if you look at Aramalde, Basque Country, where he beat Pogacaron in the downhill sprint, extremely similar finish with a 10-minute steep climb and then a short descent afterwards. It was him, Pogacar, attacking stop-start, stop-start against Roglic. And then they just went to a sprint and Gudu and Co. came back. Gudu should be good on this finish as well. He'll probably try something. Um, but I don't expect huge gaps. I just, my view is Jonas could drop him if he wanted to commit to, but he doesn't have to. He's on 220 on GC. So doesn't really have to. Um, but yeah, Dylan turns to the win. That's all from us for today. Hopefully another good stage tomorrow. Hopefully there is more GC action than, than we think. We've got a Rampass finish, which there's a, um, not very many of them in the Vuelta. So tune in for that on the Saturday stage. We'll see you with a recap tomorrow. Ciao.